I'm Diana Gore. In March of 2015, we took off with a group of four other staff people and their spouses and went to Uganda to visit Watoto, which is one of Hope's ministry partners. And while we were there, um, God both awakened something in my heart and broke my heart for some things. I'm a fixer and I'm a doer, and so I knew that there was something that needed to happen, but I wasn't sure what that was. So when I met with uh, the Global Hope team, they, I told them about what God was doing in my life and what I felt like He had um, broken my heart over, which was really women that were in extreme poverty, that were vulnerable, um, that didn't understand that their identity was in Christ, that they didn't know God, they didn't know the truth of His Word. And um, Doug and Melanie said, Diana Agape actually reached out to us and asked us to consider what it would look like to come along and partner with them to help them kick off a women's ministry. What we are doing is empowering women who need to understand the love of Jesus, they need tangible life skills that will allow them to have vocational training, literacy training, finance training, so that they can make an income that will help them to be able to support their families and ultimately break the cycle of poverty that they're in. I went back to Watoto a second time to Uganda so that I could see behind the scenes of Living Hope and really understand how the ministry worked. But I got the opportunity to meet this uh, lady named Lucia who was a part of the program. She was illiterate because she never was afforded an education. So one of the things they taught her to read and what she said was she opened her Bible and she said, I used to be blind, but now I can see. And the real tangible picture of there are women out there that are blind for lots of reasons. They're blind because they are illiterate, so they literally can't read God's word. Um, they're blind because they believe lies um, or untruths um, that culture tells them or other people have told them. And I think when I really think about one of the reasons that I'm passionate about this, it's because of her story and understanding that we have such a beautiful opportunity to help people that feel blind to be able to see. That's such a great story. And let me tell you the rest of the story since we shot that video. A few weeks ago, you remember I challenged us to raise over three weeks of $400,000 above our regular giving so that we could buy all the equipment we needed to launch our Garner campus this September. And, and we exceeded that. And I said, well, then let's just go for what we need to have the staff and the ministry and the programs. That's 650. Let's go for that. And last week I shot a video, said, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, we, we've gotten to $625,000. Well, since then, we are now at about $730,000. Now, that's, yeah, yeah, give God a prayer. But here's the cool thing. This is, this is the rest of the story. Because of your generosity, because you gave to hope where you are, which impacts us launching campuses and ministering through our campuses, we're able to give $40,000 to our Agape campus to launch that ministry for those ladies who desperately need it. And so again, I want to thank you. See, your generosity makes a difference. As I like to say now, Jesus rides in the town on the back of generosity and things are happening because of your generosity. Now, here's something I never thought I would say. Stop giving to hope where you are. Okay, please stop and redirect your money to the general fund. Because that's where, that keeps the lights on, that pays the staff, you know, that's the programs. It, you know what, what people see, sometimes that doesn't seem as sexy to people as, you know, some kind of felt need you, you want to give to. But the reality is, uh, when you give, you're giving to prevent things from happening. See, we, we're able to run Kid City in such a way that your kids come to faith in Christ at an early age and maybe avoid many of the mistakes and decisions that you made later on in life because they met Christ early. See, that's possible because people give to the general fund. Or whether it's our 
our student ministries. You know what? You have no idea how many teenagers will never struggle with addiction, how many girls will never get pregnant and be faced with possibly considering an abortion because we have a staff that ministers to them and loves on them and teaches them biblical principles. We're able to have ministries like re-engage and many of you married couples, you've been through that. And as a result, your marriage has been saved or it's gotten better. You've gotten a marriage tune up. We're able to do that because of general giving. Do you know because of the money you give through general giving, we feed over 30,000 people a month in the triangle in Wake County. That's because of your generosity. On top of that, um, over a million dollars of everything you just give for normal giving goes to needs in our local and global community around the world. It makes a difference. So I would really encourage you, if you have not become a systematic uh, giver, I think you should tie. You can get there eventually. If you haven't, you got to get there because I'm telling you, God uses it to make huge differences. So thank you for your generosity. Let's keep it up. Uh, it, it's going to be just a phenomenal year. Now, uh, we're in the fourth week of our series that we're calling Help Us. Uh, we're talking about how we can build relationships, strong relationships, repair our damaged relationships. And I pointed out the very first week that there are 26 one another's. If you're new to church, there's 26 one another's in the Bible that basically teaches how to love one another. We have to pray for one another and encourage one another. We have to build up one another. Sometimes we have to... We have to rebuke and maybe correct one another. It's part of building strong relationships. But I mentioned if you take all 26 of these one another's, they basically can be broken down into four categories. One, we have to accept one another. Then we have to forgive one another. We have to learn how to put people's preferences above our preference. We have, we have to, there's mutual submission. We submit to one another, which just means I put my mission under your mission. Philippians chapter two, I consider what you have going on in your life more important than what I have going on in my life. And this week we've come to the topic of we have to care for one another. And this is such a big topic that we're actually gonna break this down into two weeks. Next week we're gonna talk about how do we care for one another on a personal level, me with you, you with me. But this week I wanna talk about how we care for one another in our community in such a way that it transforms lives and it changes our communities. And this is important because understand as Christians, our job, our marching orders are pretty clear. We've been called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and to do what Jesus did on this earth. We are his hands, we are his feet. But let's be honest, as Christians, we can even screw that up. We can't get that right. In fact, George Barner, who spent his life uh, doing research on religious trends and practices, he writes this, the stumbling block for the church is not its theology, but its failure to apply what it believes in a compelling way. Now, if you're here and you're just kind of checking out Christianity or you've kind of been, you know, adverse to going to church, you want, you want nothing to do with it, one of the big reasons is you probably look at the church of Jesus Christ and you see a lot of hypocrisy. We hear that word a lot. Like, you know, you, you talk the talk, but I don't really see you walking the walk. In other words, what we say we believe doesn't necessarily match our actions. That's what Barna is talking about. Then he says this, Christians have been their own worst enemies when it comes to showing the world what authentic biblical Christianity looks like. Now, why is that? Well, the problem is this, as followers of Jesus Christ, we often forget that during his earthly ministry, Jesus didn't go around Judea preaching really good messages. He didn't just go around all of Palestine, you know, just teaching really good theology. He spent the majority of his time reaching out to and ministering to hurting people, broken people, messed up people, sinful people, as Garth Brooks would say, people in low places. In other words, Jesus spent the majority of his time with people just like us. In fact, in one of Jesus' very first sermons, he said, listen, I didn't come here just to preach the gospel. He said, I came to heal the brokenhearted. You ever had your heart broken? 
Maybe you're here this weekend and your heart's been broken. Jesus came to heal your broken heart. Then he says, I came to set free those who are oppressed. That word oppressed in the Greek, the Greek word means bruised. I think Jesus is saying, I came to mend your broken heart and I came to heal your emotional bruises. And guess what? That's exactly what Jesus spent his time on this earth doing. He spent his life involved in ministry of compassion, of caring for people. All you have to do is read the gospels, the account of the life of Jesus, and you see this. Matthew chapter 11, he exalted the lowly. Mark chapter five, he released the captive. Luke chapter four, he comforted those who were in prison. Luke chapter 15, he, you know, he hung out with those who didn't fit in. He hung out with outsiders. You get to Luke 23, remember on the cross, he forgave the criminal. Luke 24, he consoled those who were mourning. You get over to the gospel of John, John chapter two, he gave water to a thirsty woman. In John chapter six, he fed the multitudes who were hungry. In John 21, he restored the fallen. Remember, after Peter rejected him, Jesus says, come on, follow me. I still have something for you to do. Romans chapter four says that he suffered for the sake of his people. Romans chapter five says he died in our place. So understand the Bible makes it very, very clear that Jesus spent his life involving himself, ministering to the needs of people. But that was just the beginning because you get to John chapter 14, verse 12, and this is what Jesus said to his disciples. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And sure enough, Jesus rose from the dead. He spent several weeks on this earth, then he ascended back to the Father, but right before he ascended back to the Father, basically he said this, I'm leaving, you're staying, I'm passing on the torch to you, you're gonna be the church, I want you to follow my example. In other words, we aren't just to show up on the weekends and listen to me preach a message of mercy, we're supposed to go out of here and demonstrate mercy. We're not supposed to just hear messages about compassion, we're supposed to demonstrate compassion. We're not just talking, supposed to talk about taking care of one another. We're actually supposed to take care of one another. And guess what happened? The members of those early New Testament churches went out and began to exhibit the exact compassion that Jesus had exhibited. For example, the church was launched in Acts chapter two when Peter stood up in Jerusalem and preached the gospel that Jesus Christ, the son of God, came to this earth, died on the cross for our sins, three days later rose from the dead, to verify and validate he was the son of God who could take away the sins of the world. And Acts chapter two says 3,000 Jews, think about that, converted from Judaism to Christianity. Well, part of the reason, do you know why? Because Jesus had been walking around Jerusalem for a few weeks after his resurrection. And they're like, man, I wanna be on his team. You know what I'm saying? He died and went to a tomb and came, I wanna be on his, three, and that was the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. When talk about an incredible birthing of a church. By the time you get to Acts chapter six, four chapters later, guess what they're saying? Man, we got a problem in our community. There are widows who aren't being taken care of. We gotta take care of the widows. Acts chapter nine, guess what? They forgave the criminal. You get to Acts chapter 11, they fed the hungry. They fellowshiped with outsiders. Acts chapter 16, they comforted those who were in prison. There were captives that they set free. In, John, in Acts chapter 20, they consoled the mourning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, they exalted the lowly. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, they restored the fallen. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that they suffered for the sake of God's people. My point is simply this. It is pretty clear in the Bible that the church from its very conception was actively involved in ministering to a hurting, needy world. 
And those of us this weekend who are listening, who would identify ourselves as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to do the exact same thing. In other words, not only are we to share the life-changing message of Jesus Christ, and we should do that, we should make sure that every man, woman, and child has multiple opportunities to see, to hear, to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, we must also address with our actions, with our behavior, the hurts, and the needs of people that we rub shoulders with every day. So you need to understand something. We, Christians, the church of Jesus Christ, we, not the government, are commanded to feed the hungry. We, not the government, are commanded to provide shelter and clothing for those who are in need. We, not the government, are commanded to visit the sick and those who are in prison. We're commanded, not the government, to take care of the widows and the orphans. We, not the government, are commanded to bring restoration to broken lives. We, not the government, are commanded to be the hands, the feet, the mouthpiece of Jesus Christ on this earth. Hey, people, the government can't fix a pothole. How are they going to fix lives? And that's why Jesus said, listen, Matthew 25, verse 40, hey, whatever you do to the least of these, hey, Consider it that you're doing it for me. So this is the thing we have to grapple with this weekend. Here, grapple with this weekend. Here's the question. What are you doing to be intentional about making compassion a regular part of your lifestyle? Because I can promise you this. If there's no compassion, there is no caring for one another. And this is what's interesting. There are certain things in our life that if we're honest, we're, we're just committed to. I mean, there are just certain things in our life that are too important to make them contingent on whether or not we feel like doing them. So what do we do? We institutionalize those things. We, we build those things into our life. We build those things into our schedule. I mean, if you have children, you don't just leave their education for whatever happens. I mean, you've got a plan for their education. You've got a plan for their recreational development. You build it into your life. You have a plan for your health. You have a way you wanna eat. You wanna to go to the gym. Maybe you have a plan for retirement. There's a, you build it into your life. You build it into your schedule. But when it comes to compassion, are you a person who actually practices compassion or are you just one of those Christians that Barna talked about who just talks about it? Because understand, here's the danger we all face. And when I say we, I'm including myself. See, I can convince myself that I'm a compassionate person simply because every once in a while, I have a compassionate thought. Or maybe I have a compassionate feeling. I mean, I can be in the doctor's office and flip through a ma magazine and see a picture of a starving child or, or maybe see a commercial on TV and that child has flies all over its face, you know, and man, I'd, something inside of me just knots up and I feel, I feel sorry for that child. And I can convince myself that I'm a compassionate person because I feel something for this child. Even though I don't do anything, I feel something. But do you know why we all experience that? Do you know why we see things and we see needs around us every day and we do absolutely nothing? Because at the end of the day, I'm just being honest with you, it's not that important. At the end of the day, it's, it's just not a priority. And I know that this is gonna step on some of your toes, but you know what? Some of you young families, you would miss the second coming before you'd miss your kid's soccer game. You would miss the second coming before you didn't get your daughter to gymnastics practice. Some of you men would miss a second coming. You would pass it up before you would, you would say no to a round of golf. However, when it comes to being compassionate and building it into our lives, we kind of have the attitude as Christians, you know, I can take it or leave it. 
We don't want anything to do with it, and I'll tell you why. It's because when you really begin to care for one another, when you decide that you're going to become compassionate, it, in, it, it requires, okay, it's no longer theory. It requires that you get involved with real people, and it takes real time, and it takes real energy, and it's not idealized anymore, and it's not romanticized anymore. And I'll be honest with you, people aren't always going to say thank you. And there are going to be times where you invest in people and they're going to rip you off and they're going to break your heart. I can promise you it's going to get messy. You know why? It's real life. And that's why it's so tempting for us to just settle for feeling a compassionate feeling or having a compassionate thought every once in a while. But you need to understand when the writers of the Bible talk about being compassionate, it has absolutely nothing to do with our feelings. You know what they're calling us to do? They're calling us to action. Let me just show you some interesting verses. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And this is just good, good relationship advice right here. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But notice the next phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you've ever read the gospels, you know that that became a central part of what Jesus taught, love your neighbor as yourself. And even the New Testament writers often referred back to what Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, right? In fact, this is what it says, Matthew 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And if you're new to church or Christianity, like who are the Sadducees, who are the Pharisees? Well, they were both religious groups that basically at the end of the day were responsible for getting Jesus crucified, okay? These are Jewish religious leaders. Let me tell you the difference. You'll never forget this. The Sadducees did not believe in the supernatural, they didn't believe in the hereafter. They didn't believe in heaven. They didn't believe in angels. So they were sad, you see. The Pharisees thought they were better than everyone else, superior. So they were fair, you see. So there you go. You'll never ever, that's kind of deep stuff you get when you come to Hope Community Church, right? But they got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him. That would be Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? I mean, can you imagine your coworker said, hey, do me a favor, sum up the Old Testament for me. That's basically what they were asking Jesus. Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your souls, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, here it is, Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Well, I kept reading through Leviticus 19 because let's be honest, who doesn't just love reading Leviticus, right? So if you just keep reading Leviticus, you get 15 verses later, you get to verse 33. Let me show you something and this is gonna mess some of you up. Okay, here it is. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, Understand this Hebrew word here that's translated foreigner is the same word we would use to describe someone who's an immigrant. It refers to someone who's from another culture. It refers to someone who speaks another language. Now, let me just say something. This is not political. This is biblical, okay? This has nothing to do with a border crisis or building a wall. I get it. We got to have laws. I get it. We have to have national security. I understand. We can't just throw open the gates and have everybody waltz into America who wants to come to America. I get that. So do not send me an email to enlighten me. I already know that stuff, right? But listen to this verse, Leviticus 19, verse 33. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born 
Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. That's God's way of saying, hey, don't forget where you came from. That's what he's saying. There's another statement that caught my eye, Leviticus 25, verse 35. If any of your fellow Israelites, and so we're talking about neighbors, become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and a stranger so they can continue to live among you. Now, again, this is pretty much precisely the same statement that we just read in Leviticus 19, verse 18, love your neighbor as yourself. However, the word love here is translated help. This word means expend energy. It means to give assistance. So let's read the verse in that context. If any of you fellow Israelites become poor, any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, expend energy. Give assistance to them as you would a foreigner and a stranger so they can continue to live among you. My point is, when the Bible talks about loving and helping those who are in need, when it talks about loving and helping the poor, when it talks about caring for others, it doesn't mean that we're supposed to have warm, fuzzy feelings when we think about the desperate situation that that individual's in. Fundamentally, it means this, help them. Fundamentally, it means this, do something. So I know you probably have feelings of compassion. Here's my question. What are you actually doing? In fact, let's, let's broaden it out. What are we doing as a church? Because see, every person listening to me right now, regardless of what campus you may be at, you may be listening online, right? Every person has the potential to be, think about this. We each have the potential to be an agent of God's compassion. Doesn't matter the resources we have. It doesn't matter if we're young or if we're old. We can be used to extend the compassion of God. So the real question this weekend is this. What provisions have you made to ensure that you are practicing compassion? And are you building it into your lifestyle? And for you as a Christian, is it as, say, non-negotiable as it is for you to go to work or take care of your kids or maybe get to the gym every day. See, Now, this is what I believe about most of us. I believe that most of us want to be compassionate. So what is the key to being compassionate? I mean, if we really want to be compassionate, what's the key? Here's the key. The key is to be compassionate in an area that you're already naturally passionate about. And that's one of the reasons that when we show you these stories, we show them to you on the weekend. I mean, when you watch these stories, whether it's this weekend or any weekend, and you hear the difference that people are making in people's, uh, you know, imagine that you're wearing a heart monitor. And if you're watching one of these stories and, and you sense that your heartbeat goes up a little bit, unless you're sitting beside a real attractive stranger, right? That, that may be the area where God has your attention. That may be the area that you want to check out about exhibiting Compassion, that may be the area where your passion lies. In fact, you can learn something really, really incredible from this next story. Watch this video on the side screen. My name is Lakia Smith and I work in the food pantry. So I serve families in need when they come in on Wednesdays. I work Wednesday evenings. September, the, the beginning of the school year, I found out that my husband had been um, sexually abusing both of my daughters. And so, as anyone would imagine, it turned our entire lives upside down. Like, not one single aspect of our life wasn't affected. It took 
other Christians reaching out to us to say that it's okay. We're here for you to make me want to be here. If it weren't for people of faith like Donnie Dar and Carrie White, um, I wouldn't be here. I think I would have gone mad. My mother always told me to, if I was confused or um, I needed to figure out where I could be beneficial to the kingdom, um, to serve where my need is. And at the time, we needed food. Serving in the food pantry has, um, it's allowed me to see that no one is alone. Like in our deepest, darkest moments with whatever anxieties or stresses or just bad times we're going through, you are not the only person going through that. You know, there's someone going through either something similar or something worse or just bad times are, are bad times. And so to be a part of alleviating that stress, bringing a little light, bringing a little hope for just a moment for a family is a huge responsibility that I take very seriously, but it's also a humbling experience because I was there. Um, periodically, I'm still there, but I, I enjoy being the person to bring light into another family's life at a moment where they were brave enough to ask for help. It gives me something to strive for because I want to be that person for whoever comes through the door. I want to be the person that makes that moment easier, that makes them forget that they're even in need because they walked into hope that day. We are here as a family because we love this community and we love what this community represents um, within the larger community that we serve. So hope and the food pantry has changed our life tremendously and just allowing us to continue to grow in our faith and loving us where we are. That make your heart rate go up a little bit. And we could go on and on. We can show you story after story after story. I spent part of my weekend down at Ship of Zion, Southeast Raleigh, part of Community Day. And it's just amazing as I hear stories of the people at Hope who go down there on a regular basis who are making a difference. In fact, I visited the Galley grocery store. Remember the grocery store we started because there was considered to be a food desert, which meant there was no fresh meat or produce within seven miles. This was a unique enough story. Uh, I was out of the country and I picked up a USA Today and there was a story about Hope Community Church planting a grocery store there. Did you know that when you bring in their food from bumper crop, the reason we give you specific things to bring is it, it stocks the shelves at that grocery store. And that way we can keep the price just high enough that we can pay the people who work there, the overhead, but pretty much the food gets to go free. And it, it serves that community. So you're making a difference by showing compassion. But this is what's cool. One of the things I noticed today when I went down, I went down for, is that we actually just remodeled the grocery store. And I found that there were over 40 people that were involved in going down there over a period of several weeks of remodeling the store. And it looks incredible. And on top of that, a lot of these were from Hope on the Home Front. There's another ministry we have at Hope. We got a big old trailer full of power tools. I mean, if you like power tools, you know, your heart's probably skipped a beat right there. But these are people who will find houses that are dilapidated. You would not believe the conditions that people in Wake County live in. You would not believe it. 
And we will find out about it when we can get the resources. They go in, they do the work, they bring those houses up to code. Maybe they find out someone needs a, a wheelchair ramp and they show up with the tools and, and they're making a difference in people's lives. I could go on and on and on and on. I mean, good gracious, I was just down in Orlando where I spoke at a conference and I heard a pastor tell a story about at his church, they decided that, you know what? Hey, if you got a bunch of extra bicycles, bicycles hanging in your garage, you never ride, bring them and donate them to the church. And somebody found a place and they took these bikes and they invited the homeless in and the, they taught the homeless how to repair bikes. And they repaired, the, if they could repair a bike, then they got that bike. But not only that, they kept coming back and they made a little bit of money and they kept repairing these bikes and then they sold them back to the community and gave the proceeds to help to address homelessness in the area. I'm telling you, the leadership here at Hope Community Church, we could sit around tables, we could work around the clock and we could never match the vision, the creativity of you guys that are sitting here this weekend. We want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. I'm just telling you, if God has laid something on your heart, realize you you might be the person that God is tapping on the shoulder saying, I want you to lead the charge in this area. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that a church the size of hope doesn't have a prison ministry. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. In fact, maybe we need to have a campus inside of a prison. And that may be something where you have some experience you could bring to the table. You could say, I will step forward. I will take, we need to hear from you because you may be the person that God is calling to do that. So let me just give you a couple of suggestions to help in this process of extending compassion. Here's the first one. Take a step towards involvement and compassion with somebody else. You don't have to do it by yourself. Do it with somebody else. Go with your small group. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group. You know, get some good friends together. Get a few families that maybe have kids of the same age. You could go down to Southeast Raleigh and be a part of Community Day together. But the reason I say this is because the number one barrier that keeps most people from getting involved in acts of compassion is fear. I mean, the reality is when you think about getting involved with a group of people or individuals that you know very, very little about, maybe you don't know them at all, it's a little bit scary. So don't do it by yourself. I mean, think about it. When Jesus sent the disciples out for the first time, what did he do? He sent them out in pairs. Okay, so evidently, if Jesus did it, that's not a bad model, right? So do that. Don't go together. Go with a friend. Here's the second thing. Maybe you already sense where your passion lies. Maybe there's something, there's just this holy discontent you cannot get out of your system. And now you're finally ready to take a step. You're ready to go to that. Here's my suggestion. Set a goal of consistent involvement. In other words, make it more than just a one-time deal. See, I think that's the way we ease our conscience. Every once in a while, we go on a mission trip. Or we show up and build, spend one Saturday helping build a habitat for humanity. Or we show up on Thanksgiving and say, you know what, we're going to serve some food for people who wouldn't have a Thanksgiving meal otherwise. Don't do that. Make it consistent. Build it into your life. And it doesn't have to be overwhelming. It doesn't have to be every week. Maybe you start off saying it's going to be six times a year, right? But here's the rationale. What really generates compassion in us, what makes it real, what makes it effective is when we're involved in such a way that we begin to build relationships. For example, when you consistently tutor a child or say you consistently visit an elderly person in a nursing home, or maybe you go to a prison and on a regular basis you're discipling and mentoring and encouraging someone who is in prison. See, what's gonna happen, there's a really, really good chance that that person is gonna become more than just a face in the crowd, because you're gonna get to know them. And when you get to know them, they're gonna become a friend. And you're gonna know they're waiting for you. 
and they expect you to be there. And I'm telling you, when that happens, you start to receive as well as give because you cannot give constantly without eventually beginning to receive. We saw it in the story with the police officer. In tutoring this young man, he said, I begin to find healing in my life for things I had no control over. I realized I could give back. I could make a difference. But I'll tell you this, if that relational connection doesn't take place, you'll lose interest. You'll burn out. You won't go back. It won't be a priority. But if your aim is a consistent expression of compassion, building it into your schedule gives you a shot at developing a relationship. It may be as simple as finding homeless people in our community and sitting down and having a conversation. You know what I've learned? Every one of them has a story. Every one of them has a story. And when you learn the name, I'm telling you, it changes everything because you get, you get hooked. So here's, this is the great challenge of compassion is to make sure that who we say we are as Christians actually matches what we do. Because I'm telling you, there are miracles around us every day. There, there are miracles downtown Raleigh in jail and in prison that are just waiting to happen. There are miracles in homes on your block, people living on the streets. There's miracles in schools just waiting to happen. And here's the cool thing, God still pulls people aside and says, I can use you. I can use you to change the world. If, if you'll let me, I'll, I'll let you do that. And I, I don't know what could be more important uh, than to do that. With, with, may I remind you with our one and only life, right? And you can't do everything and you, you can't save everybody, but you can do something. We can all do something and I'm calling you to do it. And I'm calling you to build it into your life. I'm calling you to make a plan. I'm calling it to build it into your lifestyle so that it becomes part of your DNA and who you are. By the way, aren't you glad that our Heavenly Father is compassionate? <laughs> and aren't you, aren't you honored that he, he wants us to partner with Him in this great and noble task of changing lives? He lets us do that. In January, I shared with you in a message about opportunities. And one of the things I said, I think it's ridiculous that in Wake County, a teacher would have to reach into their own pocket and spend money on supplies for their own classroom. And I said, you know, we're gonna do something about that. So we've been working behind the scenes. And as you guys, Gary, you know, Gary and I, we've been working on the Big C Church in the community, getting churches to work together, to take on projects. And we, we, we've got a number of churches, including Hope. And we are going to, starting in July, and we'll, we'll give you more information. I just want to whet your appetite. We're going to give you a list of things, and we're going to ask you to bring those things to the church, school supplies for teachers. And then over a couple of weeks, we're going to, we're going to have you Give, it, give you the opportunity to come in and help us maybe put those things into gift baskets, you know? And then we're gonna go to schools and we're gonna deliver them to teachers and we're gonna say, we're from Hope Community Church and we're here for you and we're gonna love on them. We've already adopted 10 schools in Wake County. We're getting ready to adopt two more. The two most needy schools in Wake County, 
Hope Community Church, we're going to adopt them. We're going to be a part of the solution. If they need mulch, we're going to go over there and spread mulch. If they need something painted, we're going to show up and paint. If they need playground equipment repaired, we're going to be the ones that repair it. We're going to love on the teachers. We'll show up some mornings and take them coffee and bagel. But we're going to be relationship. But understand, the goal is always to bring them into that life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. But we meet needs. See, we don't worry about the results. We meet needs. We leave results up to God. If you want to learn more about what's available, just go to gethope.net slash compassion. And you'll see all the things that we do at Hope Community Church that you could take a step and get involved in. And don't just do it once. Come up with a plan to do it consistently. It'll make a difference. And also, let me just say this. On June 1st, we're having our second, I call it my generosity team breakfast. And we had, I think, over 150 show up at the first one. And this is, you just feel like, man, I think God's given me the gift of giving. And on top of my regular giving to hope, I'm always looking for something else to invest in the kingdom of God. Did you know someone, we've already gotten $20,000. Someone wrote a $5,000 check. Another person wrote $15,000 check to help us buy teachers gift cards. So there might be something we don't know we can just give it to a teacher. And we hadn't even asked yet, but see there was something inside of someone's life says, I wanna be a part of the solution. And so that's June 1st, you can go to gethope.net backslash generosity team. You can get all the information. You can RSVP through the church. I'd love you to show up. We tell you stuff that's going on behind the scenes, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. God rides in the towns. He rides in the cities. He rides in the villages on the back of our generosity. Not just our money, but our time and he can use us to change the world would you pray with me father thank you what an honor it is that you would use us you don't need us you 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 could give you could give animals the gift of speech you could have used animals you could have sent thousands of angels to do what needs to be done you could snap your finger and hunger would disappear but you decided to use us what an honor and a privilege it is. And Father, we, we pray that you will, you will move in our hearts in such a way that it becomes not just something we do, but it becomes who we are, that we stop going to church and we start being the church. And we see you make a movement in this area where we live, where you get the glory and the credit. We live in a crazy world that is just spiraling out of control. And the impression they have of the church is we're just here to point fingers and to guilt them. May, may they see the love of your son, Jesus Christ, lived out through us. And may it change their lives. And may you get the glory in your name, we pray.